Hello, this is Reverend Judith Laxer. Thank you for listening to the podcast of our service entitled A Force for Good. My wish is that the food for thought offered nourishes your soul. Dear listener, the Gaius Temple Ministry is sustained by generous donations such as yours, and we need your financial support. If everyone donated just $3 each time they tune in to listen and receive the service, that reciprocity would ensure our continuance. If you feel served by listening and wish to donate to help support our ministry, please push the donate button now and give generously. We'd be most grateful. Thank you and blessed be. Well, my friends, we are in the third part of the compass created by Valerie Kaur to activate revolutionary love. I am finding these principles to be a worthy study and a worthy practice. And if you've been a member of our congregation this year in 2022, I hope that you are finding that to be true as well. I hope that you are finding that these practices are serving you and changing you. I personally am finding them life-changing. As we journey around the wheel, as we are journeying around this compass. So, and if you're just uh, joining us, no worries. I'm going to review uh, this compass a little bit and give you just a, a quick and dirty version of what it is that we have been up to this year. And if they do light a spark in you, then you can always go to the YouTube channel of Guy's Temple and watch uh, the past services to learn a little bit more about each one of these principles in depth. Or you can go to our website, guyistemple.org, and you can access them on the audio podcast through there. So, Mari, go ahead and put up the slide for us so we can take a look at this compass. Valerie Kaur created the Compass of Revolutionary Love. And we began in, uh, in January on the left side there. Uh, and on the outer ring, we can see that we are learning to love in three different ways or three different Uh, We're learning to love three different demographics, I guess we could say. We started with learning to love others, then we moved on to learning how to love our opponents, and now we are in the third compass where we are learning to love ourselves, and perhaps this might be the most difficult one. Under others, the uh, sort of principle was to see no stranger, and the way we did that was starting from the inside of the circle was to wonder around everyone, wonder about everyone. And that challenged the assumptions that we automatically make. The next was to grieve, to allow ourselves to grieve the truth of what it is that we are grieving. And the third was to fight. And what was so interesting about fight is that what revolutionary teaches, uh, revolutionary love teaches us to do is to fight for what we want rather than spending all of our energy in resisting what we don't. Now, one of the things that I love about this work, and Valerie says this again and again, is that these principles are not necessarily in order, that at any given time we might have to apply any one of them, and that not everybody is going to be skilled and adept at all of these that we will learn them the best we can and apply them when is needed. And that is why revolutionary love is practiced in community, because I might be in a place to enact one of these principles when you are not, and you might be able to do something that I am unable to do in any given moment. There's such beauty in that, and uh, that's a huge part of growing community and strengthening our community, which is another reason why I love these, love this work. Anyway, so we started with loving others, and we went to, we started with wonder, and then grieve, and then fight. Then we moved over to learning how to love our opponents, and the way we do that was by tending the wound. And we started in the center with rage to really allow ourselves to feel our rage and to gather information from our rage rather than using it as the fuel to cause harm, which is typically what happens with rage. uh, We used it to inform us about what matters to us. And then we learned how to listen or we are learning how to listen. I am still learning how to listen. And it's hard to listen to our opponents because we don't agree with them. And we find that when we don't agree with somebody, we don't want to listen. Um, But in order for us to tend the wound, we must listen to what is going on for the person who is wounded and for the person who is wounding. 
And then we moved on to reimagine. So if we are reimagining the world that we want, rather than staying stuck in the same loop over and over and over again, which is what we humans have done by never learning from our history. <laughs> and so learning to reimagine what the world could be like. So those were the first two parts of the compass. And now we are in the third section, which is where we are learning to love ourselves. We began that last month with the principle of breathe, learning how to breathe, remembering to breathe, to breathe deeply, and also that taking a breath affords us a little time to contemplate the actions that we want to take instead of just being always in reaction. And then we come to today and the principle of push. And I just want to say one more thing before we actually get into the specifics of the push principle. And that is this. Valerie uses the metaphor of giving birth, uh, the beautiful metaphor of giving birth. And in an actual birth, transition begins and then the breathing and the pushing happens, right? We don't really, I mean, obviously we're breathing all the time, but the breathing that accompanies pushing in order to bring life to bear uh, happens after transition. There's a transition point, and from then on, we are in the active labor of birthing. But she changes the order a little bit here, uh, kind of metaphorically, so that we learn to breathe and push, so that we know what we're doing when we go to transition into the world that we want to be living in, when we go to transition into truly knowing how to love ourselves. So there's a little bit of a difference here um, in the order of things, but it's all part of the swirl. And like I said, at any given moment, we might be called upon to enact any one of these principles, not necessarily in order and certainly not how they have been taught. One thing I do want to say before we move on is that breathe and push are intricately linked like inhaling and exhaling. They are part of the same principle. And she's broken them down separately, and we're teaching about them separately, but breathing and pushing go together. All right, so there we are on the compass, and uh, we can drop that slide down, Mari, thank you. One of the things that Valerie talks about when she's teaching this particular principle is kind of explaining the order in which she created this template of the compass. And she said she started with others, learning to love others, uh, because that's pretty much how things went in her life. And it's true for most of us. You know, when we're younger, our lives really rely on establishing relationships with others, right? We rely on our mothers primarily. We rely on our parents and our siblings and our schools and our teachers. And, you know, we have to establish those relationships other than ourselves in order to survive when we're very, very young. And then she said, then when she got a little older and realized the work that she was doing in the world, which was social activism, spiritually based, but social activism, social justice, um, then it was time to learn how to love her opponents, which included, you know, grieving and fighting and raging and, you know, all and listening and reimagining and all of that part. So once she established loving others, then it was time to start turning toward what was a little bit more difficult, which is how do I love my opponents, the ones that I don't agree with, the ones that I not only don't rely on, but might even be causing me harm, how do I love them? And then it comes to the third part, which is now how to learn ourselves, how to learn to love ourselves. And she says, you know, this is the part that she's still involved in now. And I think we will probably always, all of us, be involved in learning how to love ourselves well because we are always exploring different parts of ourselves. And as we grow and learn, different parts of ourselves reveal themselves to us. Um, and so she says it's really important for us to approach loving ourselves with the same sense of wonder that we did at the very beginning with everybody we see. We would look at any stranger anywhere and actually see no stranger, right? See them and say, auntie, uncle, mother, father, sister, brother, like if I wondered about you as my family, I would not be threatened by you. Or 
I wouldn't consider you an opponent if I were to wonder instead of make an assumption about who you are simply by how you look or what you say or your actions. And so she invites us to do the same thing with ourselves as we explore more about ourselves and to say to ourselves, you are the part of me that I don't yet know. It's quite beautiful. And I think for me also, just thinking about the order in which these principles are taught, starting with other, then opponent, then ourselves, it's almost like we have to learn these principles and apply them to other people to learn the skill set, because loving ourselves is perhaps the hardest thing. And so then we have the skill set, and then it's easier for us to start to apply them to ourselves. So this is the work of revolutionary love. And before we get into the next principle of push, uh, Oriel is going to lead us in the magnificent chant that she wrote for us. I asked her to write it for us at the beginning of this year. We have been singing it at every service ever since. So Mari's going to put up the slide of the words. We'll all remain muted, but uh, Oriel will lead us in singing So Love Now. Thank you for leading that today and also for creating that magnificent chant. I feel like it is threaded through my bones at this point. I will sing it always. Thank you so much. So here we are. The next principle is push. 
And we are learning this in the context of self-love. And it is focused energy pushed to love ourselves. So the pushing that we will do is of ourselves. We are going to push ourselves. We're not pushing anyone else. We are not going to be a force for good to force anyone else. We are just going to push ourselves. And that's how we're going to learn to push gently and with grace and with wonder and remembering to breathe in between even every little push. So Valerie gives us the definition of push this way. To push is to choose to enter discomfort, uncomfortable sensations, thoughts, emotions, perhaps grief, perhaps rage, perhaps trauma, all as part of a healing process, a liberation process. That is one serious definition of push. So in essence, what we are learning, what we are teaching ourselves and what we will be practicing is how to stay present and most importantly, how to stay and be willing to lean into, to push forward and lean into uncomfortable feelings, thoughts and sensations, to be willing to stay with pain just a little bit longer in order to heal, knowing that doing so is part of a healing process and knowing and trusting that doing so is how healing occurs. Tending the wound sometimes means poking the wound. We got to go back and poke the wound. Healing can be painful. Healing can sometimes be just as painful as the injury was to begin with. But it's very different than when we are first wounded and we feel like something is perpetrated upon us because now we are choosing to go back to that painful place as part of a healing process. So we have some agency in that because it is part of choice instead of something that is just happening to us. And if we know in our consciousness that we're doing that in order to heal, it makes us a little stronger and it makes us makes it a little easier to bear. So we must remember the purpose of doing it, which is to heal, not to cause further harm. So this is the discernment process. And there's a few aspects of this discernment. One is, when is it time to breathe and rest? And when is it a time to push through the pain a little bit, to push through the pain, to birth new possibilities within ourselves and out there in the world? That's a discernment process. Do I need to rest and breathe right now, recoup? Or did I just do that? And so now I can lean into the push a little bit more and bear up underneath it. Another discernment process here is that we can also ask ourselves, when we push, are we simply pushing something away, like from ourselves, which is a way of resistance, which sometimes we must do? Or are we pushing towards something? Are we pushing towards something that we are creating that's going to be new? That is also a discernment process. Now, if we choose to be willing to remain present with uncomfortable feelings and to remain present with the pain of something, the pain of the wound in order to heal, healing will be the result because that is our intention. It is a choice. The willingness to make this choice, the willingness to stay with it, to keep pushing is the magic elixir. It's the willingness. If someone's push, pushing you, if someone's forcing you, if you don't feel like you have a choice, it might not necessarily be healing. But if you choose to do it for your healing, then healing will occur. And I think that also makes it a little easier to bear or endure things that are painful and are uncomfortable because you know it is for a higher purpose 
and you want to get to a goal that is better than where you are now. And sometimes that can be uncomfortable. Sometimes we got to poke the wound. So when we're talking about pushing ourselves into uncomfortable places, a huge one is to ask ourselves if we are willing to forgive because that is often a scarred over place, over a wound. And part of that healing must come by forgiving whatever it is that wounded us to begin with, whether that was a situation, whether that was an individual, whether that was a system or an institution. Are we willing to forgive? Now, the thing we have to remember about forgiveness, and I know I've, I've talked about forgiveness a lot in Gaia's Temple over the years, I am working very hard to learn to be a forgiving person. I come from a family of grudge holders. We elevate that to a very high level there. And uh, forgiving has not been something that's come easily for me, but it's becoming more easily now. It's becoming more easy now, which just, I got to tell you, is a relief. But anyway, what I want to say about forgiveness, and Valerie says this too, forgiving is not for them. Forgiving is what we do for ourselves. We lighten our own burden when we forgive because when we're carrying a grudge, that grudge is heavy and it gets heavier as time goes on. It is not healing to do that. So forgiveness is for us. It is not for them. It's not for the person who wounded us. It's for ourselves to forgive so that we can detach and really let it go and put it in the past and not keep carrying it forward. This is a process of liberation. Sometimes that moment when it happens can seem like it took just a second, but you know, it's like the overnight success that took 30 years. You know, we gotta work at it, work at it, work at it, and then poof, something happens and we see that shift. Um, so uh, we free ourselves when we forgive, but not until we're ready. So this is another sort of discernment process. If we force ourselves to forgive or pretend that we're forgiving something or someone when we really haven't, First of all, that's not really healing. And secondly, it's um, it can cause more harm to ourselves. So we have to be ready and it has to be real. It has to be authentic. I'm tired of carrying this burden. I don't wanna carry this person with me anymore. I don't want this grudge to keep, my, to keep me wounded, and I don't want to walk through life with that. When will we get to that point when we are ready to forgive? That is soon enough. But the thing is that we can get used to carrying the grudge, and it goes out of our consciousness, and we just walk through life like that. So this principle of pushing is asking us to ask ourselves, how long do I need to carry this grudge? How long... Uh, when is enough time that I have carried it? So every once in a while, we got to like do the little inventory and check in and say, my God, that was 20 something years ago. Am I still nursing that grudge? Which means I'm still nursing that wound. What can I do differently to let that go? Now, listen, withholding forgiveness sometimes is an act of agency. Sometimes holding forgiveness, particularly when we're first, wind, uh, first wounded, is uh, something that gives us some power when we need it. Because when we're wounded, we usually don't feel very powerful. So being angry and not forgiving and holding that person over there, that can be an act of agency that is a very important part of the process. But how long you're going to carry that into the future, that's the question. And that's the thing we want to push ourselves to look at. What am I, it's uncomfortable, you know, because it gets really comfortable to say, that's a bad person. I don't want them in my life. I'm never talking to them again. We're never, you know, boom, boom, boom. We just decide these things and that's the end of it. And then we go forward. And sometimes it's important to really take a look at how long do I want to carry this? Um, over time, and hopefully once we have done some healing to recoup a little bit and heal after whatever that transgression was, then it's time to ask ourselves, am I invested in my or an, an identity as a victim or as a martyr? Now listen, I do not mean for one little second to dismiss harm that has been done or to dismiss the truth of someone being victimized. I mean, we are looking at a world 
filled with rampant, bold, out there violence, and there are victims of it. So I'm not blaming the victim and saying, well, they're not being forgiving enough, and that, you know, nothing like that at all. What I am asking, and what revolutionary love asks us is, why it's called revolutionary love is because we want to do it differently than the way we're already doing it. We are looking for something new, something different, because the way we're already doing it has brought us here, and it's not a good picture. So if I want to do that differently, then I must ask myself, am I invested in hanging on to this grudge, because that's what gives me a sense of power? And is that really healing? Am I healed? I'm not so sure about that. It's good to contemplate, and it's uncomfortable to contemplate. And that's what we want to lean into a little bit, because when we do that, we have some serious questions to ask, and then some change can happen, and that's the part that is revolutionary. We can ask, okay, if I'm still holding this grudge, what am I getting out of holding this grudge? And is there another way for me to get those needs met so that I don't have to keep holding this grudge and forgiveness can come forth? The good news is that forgiveness does not require that the other person be present. They can have already died. They can be no longer in your life. They can be somebody from the past. It could be, and, or it could be somebody who's in your life right now, but you don't actually have to do this forgiveness with them in person. This is something we do for ourselves through our contemplation, through the expansion of our consciousness, through making an effort to heal that wound. That's part of this pushing. Uh, and the next thing to ask, of course, is that if someone who has harmed you is seeking your forgiveness, like actively apologizing, and seeking your forgiveness, are you willing to give it? Are you willing to be merciful and forgive? That's a big question. And I know for myself that when I haven't been willing to do that, it's because I haven't felt powerful. And holding on to being angry and not forgiving made me feel stronger. And there is a time for that, like I said, in the wounding process, there's a time when any agency is good agency to feel powerful so that we can sort of balance the scales a little bit. But if we continue on that way, those wounds just keep coming down the pike and then it's ancestral trauma all the way. And revolutionary love seeks to shift that. So if someone is seeking your forgiveness, are you willing to give it? That is another part, another discernment process to ask in healing, am I willing to forgive? The other side, of course, of offering forgiveness is asking for it. This is a very uncomfortable place because it's difficult to admit and become accountable for our actions that have caused harm. I think what is the beautiful thing to keep in mind here no matter how spiritual we become, is that we are all human beings and we are all fallible and we all make mistakes. And sometimes we seek to cause harm, but most often, at least I'm sure the people listening to this podcast or the, tuning into this service are not out to harm people consciously. Like, I think I'll just go and ruin somebody's life today. I don't think that's in essence who we are, but still as fallible human beings, we say things and do things that hurt people all the time. All the time. And so then the question becomes, am I willing to seek forgiveness, which means that I must be accountable for what it is that I have done to cause harm. Uh, and sometimes we do things to make ourselves feel better than someone else. Sometimes we do things because we're only thinking about ourselves and we haven't brought the other person into the picture. Sometimes we are afraid and so we do things that cause harm in order to counteract that fear and feel more powerful. Sometimes we think we're doing the right thing, but we're really not. But whenever it is that we realize that we have caused harm, that's when we have two choices. We can double down in our righteousness and defend our actions, or we can become accountable 
and do the work to make amends. Guess which one I'm going to recommend? <laughs> Revolutionary love. Become accountable. Make amends. Free yourself. It's liberating to do so. Change the way the story goes so we can do the ancestral healing instead of keep perpetrating ancestral trauma. Healing in the present to change the future for those who come after. This is our point of power right here, right now in this moment. So one of the things that Valerie talks about in this principle of push, leaning into the place that is uncomfortable. Uh-oh, I made a mistake. I harmed somebody. I've got to do something about it now. All I really want to do is go eat pizza and ice cream, but I have to lean into this a little bit now. She gives us the anatomy of an apology. And this actually, um, she cites uh, V, formerly known as Eve Ensler, as the one who sort of created this outline of an apology, or at least in this particular way. I know nothing is new under the planet. No, nothing is new under the planet. Nothing is new under the stars and under heaven. Um, but this is how she defines the anatomy of an apology, which actually has four steps to it. And the first part of that is to interrogate our own life and actions to learn why we did the harm that we did in the first place. So the first part of an apology is always self-reflection. Oh boy, I just did that, didn't I? Oh, I can't believe I said that or I did that. Why did I? Why did I? Where did that come from? What was going on for me in my moment, in, in that moment that caused me to say or do the thing that caused harm. So there's a deep reflection of interrogating your own life and figuring out and being able to describe why. I said that to you because I was afraid, or I said that to you because I was angry at so-and-so or something else, or I did this because I was temporarily blinded by the light. I mean, whatever it is, but you interrogate your life to find out why, such that you will be able to describe it to the other person when you go to make that apology. The second is to fully admit the actions that you took to cause the harm. Yes, I stepped on your toe. I broke your toe. I ruined your new shoe. Whatever it is. Yes, I did that. I admit it. I did it. I was wrong. I did it. So you take responsibility for your actions. I know this just seems so basic, but you know, we, we're not practiced at doing it and we need to become practiced at doing it. Third step in an apology is to demonstrate that you can imagine how the actions you took made the other person feel. Oh, you must have been so upset when I ruined those $150 shoes. Oh, that must have been so painful. Nothing hurts as badly as when you break your toe. Oh, when I stepped in front of you and got in line in front of you and then, I, and then they were ran out by the time you got there, that must have, whatever it was. That must have felt awful in these specific ways because then what you're doing is you're demonstrating empathy and you're letting the other person know that you're not just looking to, to get out of being in the doghouse yourself, but that you truly understand what it is that you did. And you understand that because you're expressing to them, it must have felt like this. I can imagine it felt like this, like that, like the other. And then the third is to do the work of reparations. Can I buy you a new pair of shoes? Were there any medical bills due to that broken toe? Um, they ran out because I jumped in front of you and that's what happened. Can I give you my ticket or whatever it was? You try to do the work of reparations to repair what happened. Often we cannot repair what happened. We can't go back in time and do things differently. That is just not the way time works in this paradigm, but we can make the effort to repair the best that we can. And that is demonstrating that we are taking the steps to heal and to promise the non-repetition of harm. That will never happen again. And how you know that will never happen again is because I have interrogated my own life realized why I did what I did. I am admitting, yes, I did all of those horrible things. And 
I um, can imagine how horrible it was on you that I did it, and I'm going to make it as good as I possibly can, and I will never do it again. Those are the four parts of an apology. That's what must occur when you are seeking forgiveness. So this discernment process is both part, are you willing to forgive those who have harmed you? And are you willing to take a look at how might I have harmed someone else? And what can I do to repair that? The one thing that Valerie keeps saying over and over and over, and in all of her examples, she uh, also talks about this. This process takes time. It doesn't take time because we're slow or we're stupid. It takes time for the charge to kind of diffuse a little bit, for our minds to get a little clearer. We all know we see things better with 2020 hindsight. There's just, it just takes time. She talks about this one particular reconciliation that she had with a family member, and it took like 20 years until she was ready to even talk with him. And then when she was ready to talk with him, they went through a process together to heal. And the other thing that she says, and this is true about, you know, um, healing in, in any way, that even if you do forgive someone, even if someone has forgiven you, or when that occurs, it doesn't automatically mean that you're going to be best buds again. It doesn't even mean that you choose to be in each other's lives anymore. It just means that you choose to heal what happened and you can move forward healed and more whole and liberated from the harm that was caused, liberated from the weight of the grudge that we carry but not until we're willing to push into how uncomfortable it is to go back to that wound to heal it. So my friends, if you're willing, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and go within, take a nice deep breath. I'm going to lead us through a guided inquiry that uh, Valerie offered. This is her work and I just found it so magnificent. And there's just no way to improve on it. So just breathe nice and evenly and deeply. Reconnect with your grounding cord. Make sure you are deeply connected to Mother Earth so that you feel held. And if at any point in the coming meditation you feel you need to back up or walk away, trust your own body, your own intuition, your own wisdom, because you know what it is that you need. So trust what it is that you need. And so now when you're ready, I invite you to bring to your mind's eye the face of someone from whom you want an apology. Someone who you believe owes you an apology. It could be someone living or not. And the harm that they caused you can have been very great or very small. In fact, it might be best to work with someone who did something very small just for the practice of it right now. But bring to mind someone for whom it is safe for you to picture. And again, trust your body's own sensations. Let those sensations give you the information. If you are very highly activated, this might not be the opponent to work with. But if you feel like you can breathe through these sensations, then hold the picture of their face before you for a moment and really see them. And I'd like you to imagine them now apologizing to you sincerely and deeply. They're telling you exactly what they did with remorse in every word. They're reflecting on everything in them that led them to do it. They are fully imagining what you must have felt like and what harm that caused you in your life. They are promising you that they will not do that harm again. And they are taking steps in that direction. And these steps are real. And as you imagine them speaking to you, you don't have to hear their words exactly. You're just imagining them going through these gestures. And as they are apologizing to you sincerely and deeply, notice what is happening in your body. 
Now, if you notice some resistance or disbelief, that's okay. This is an imaginative act. And so let that part of you just quiet for a moment and give in. Give in to that vision. But if you can stay with it, if you can push yourself to stay with this just a little bit, just to lean into this uncomfortable place, what does it feel like for you to receive their apology? You might notice a sense of openness or relief or a sense of freedom, or maybe even just the hint of a possibility of that, and that's enough. Just be with that for one moment and keep breathing deeply. Keep that oxygen coming in and out. Good. Now, this might be enough for you. This might be enough to process. But if you're willing to go a little deeper, stay for this next few moments for the second part of this guided inquiry. Trust your wisdom, know what you need, feel your feet on the earth, feel your roots in the earth. And now conjure up the face of someone who you feel you might be ready to apologize to. It could be someone specific, um, but so you might know exactly who it is, or it could be something more general, a group of people whose suffering you had not seen before. It might be the earth herself that you need to apologize to. Who have you not yet apologized to, but you feel like you might be ready, ready to give them a sincere and deep apology. Imagine them now, visualize them, And now imagine yourself standing before them. And now you are describing what you have done, the harm that you have caused. You are finding the words inside of yourself to reflect on what led you to take those actions. You are mustering the courage to imagine how it must have felt to them. And now you are making the promise of non-repetition of harm. And you are demonstrating that you will be taking steps so that you will not continue to harm them. And as you imagine yourself giving this apology, notice what it feels like in your body. Is there a tightness or a constriction? Could be the feeling of guilt or even shame. And if you feel those things, I invite you to put one hand over your heart. Just hold yourself in your heart and take another really deep breath. We breathe through this together. Deep breath now. You are strong enough. You are brave enough to stand the heat of this shame and this guilt for a moment and to breathe through them. Imagine yourself giving it, giving it giving it. And now imagine what impact your apology is having on the person or the group that you're giving this apology to. And then I invite you to summon your own deep voice of wisdom inside of you. What information have you gained about yourself in this process of inquiry? What actions are you ready to take or receive because you have imagined them first? What breathing might you need to do before you make the next push in this direction? Take a moment to think on these things now. What have you learned about yourself? Was it easier than you thought? Harder than you thought? What were the emotions and sensations you were feeling? Can you stay with them? 
Can you reimagine how this could go? Can you imagine doing this now that you've already imagined it? Can you see yourself actually taking these actions? And then let any images you still have conjured in your mind there begin to fade. Take another really deep breath, a deep cleansing breath all the way to the bottom of your lungs. And gently empty your lungs and bring yourself back to Gaia's temple here in our sanctuary. And we'll go to Oriole now. And through the joy and pain 
Thank you, Oriole. Thank you so much. That uh, beautiful song, We Can Do Hard Things, is by Tish Milton, sung so beautifully by Oriole Lighten. Thank you so much. Valerie tells us, you know, we can't do this work as a society unless we have learned how to do it as individuals. For if we can hold our own truth and reconciliation commissions in our own lives, and if we can do the work of healing and forgiveness, and the work of apology, then perhaps we'll generate enough collective knowledge and enough collective wisdom to offer it up to the nation as a whole and to help us transition during this critical threshold, where we will only move forward if we have done this work first. This is what it means to push. This is why it's important, and this is why it's revolutionary. So my friends, be extra gentle with yourself after this service today and over the next little while. Actually, be gentle with yourself forever, my friends. <laughs> but especially after doing the hard work of this exercise, working to accept an apology and forgive and the hard work of apologizing. If we learn and practice forgiving and becoming accountable, accountable, if we remain willing to heal by pushing into uncomfortable places so we grow in our health and we do this in our personal relationships, in our families, in our communities, in our schools and in our workplaces, then we will be the agents for healing change in the world. What better thing can we say about ourselves than that? I can't think of a one. It starts here and it spreads out wider and wider for the highest good of all. So may this work of pushing remain accompanied by breathing. Don't forget to breathe. May we discern when to do them in turn. May our breathing bring rest and inspiration to push and may our pushing make us the strong change agents of the world. We can do hard things. We can do them together. Blessed be.